0: Lock TALK RADIO Slow down, touch your life Don't you know there's friends to be found Lift your eyes
1: and see the world Welcome Lift to the Sunbury Press Book Show down. Sponsored by Sunbury Press publisher of books under nine different imprints in a variety of categories, sold worldwide wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, and today we're going to talk about Miami baseball. We have Sam Zigner, the co-author of Baseball Under the Palms, A History of Miami Minor League Baseball, the Early Years, 1892 to 1960. Sam is also the author of The Forgotten Marlins, a tribute to the 1956 to 1960 original Miami Marlins, and he has served as a chairperson for the South Florida chapter of the Society of American Baseball Research, also known as Sabre, since 2006, and has been a member since 1997. He's a lifelong Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I am sorry to hear that, Sam, but welcome. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for
0: having me on the show, Larry. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> When's the last time the Pirates won anything?
0: It's been a few years. Uh, the last World Series was 79, was the last year they won the championship. Oh. That classic series against, against the Orioles.
1: <laughs> and I remembered 79. That that, that was an interlude there. Uh, the Pirates broke through. The Phillies had won the Eastern Division, because they used to all be in the Eastern Division of the mm-hmm. National League from Seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight. Then they pick up Pete Rose, and you think they're going to win again in seventy nine, and the Pirates win. Yeah, and that was the,
0: yeah, that was, that was a family. We are family. That was a great year, mm-hmm. and we had pops there, Stargell, and uh, Bill Madlock came on during the season, played third base. Mad Dog picked up Tim Foley, and uh, you know the stars aligned that season, and. The Orioles had them yeah. on the, their backs against the wall, three games to one, but the Pirates came back and ended up winning that series. That was 40 years ago.
1: How amazing, isn't it? Time flies. I'm, <laughs> dating, I'm dating myself, remembering that because <laughs> I watched all that. And one of the I'll just say one more thing about the Pirates, and then we'll get into your, your book about the Marlins in Florida. But it was always a pleasure for me to watch Steve Carlton, who was my hero. Pitch against Pop Stargell and Dave Parker, and watch them just go fishing for his slider, and almost never hit it, especially Parker.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Carlton was always our nemesis. We uh, that was always a challenge we had to face him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, the Pirates. So it's been since '79.
0: Wow. Anyway,
1: getting to your uh, recent research here with. Miami minor league baseball 1892 to 1960 that's uh, 68 Uh 69 years of history you're covering it obviously this is a pretty thick book
0: (laughs) what got you interested yeah
1: what got you interested tell us a little bit about why you dove into this topic
0: sure I came to the Miami area in 2001 and uh, of course when you get accustomed to the area you like to find out the background of the city Uh, I went back to school at a little bit later age to finish up my uh, degrees, get my bachelor's and master's degree at St. Leo University. But after I graduated school, I wanted to, I was always, always, since I was a kid, interested in writing. And I guess I lacked confidence when I was younger, but after getting out of school, and you know how it is, you write a lot of papers in school, I built up my confidence. And as a writer, what you try to do, is, is find an area to write about that nobody has really written about before. You want to find something that is new. And uh, in the course of my, I've always loved baseball, As I came across the um, original Miami Marlins. And in talking to people, I was amazed by how many people did not realize that before the, well, at the time, the Florida Marlins were a new franchise in Major League Baseball, that going back in history, Back to 1956, there was an original Miami Marlins that was part of the AAA International League. So I explored this uh, topic, did research on it. I found it fascinating because Bill Veck had been there the first year. He uh, negotiated for the team as far as getting in the stadium, uh, getting the team started, and so forth. But the key to that season was he signed Satchel Paige. And Satchel Page came and pitched in Miami from nineteen fifty six through nineteen
1: fifty eight. Uh, and so that you started to cover that in your in your last book, The Forgotten Marlins, right? And now you mm-hmm. you, you really expanded on that because you went all the way back to eighteen ninety two. So before yeah, the, we come back around to Bill Vec and Satchel Page, take us mm-hmm. back to the nineteenth century. Uh late Victorian times uh, Miami was probably more of an outpost at that point, just starting to uh, develop.
0: That's so true. Baseball came rather late to the area. Up until the 1890s, South Florida was a very sparsely populated area, and uh, in fact, and up until 1896, Henry Flagler had uh, was building a railroad that ran from Jacksonville to Key West. By 1896, he reached Miami which, by the way, on some maps you could not even find the name Miami. That's how few people actually lived in the area. And when he brought the railroad down, of course, it boomed, and people started flooding in from mostly the northeast corner of the United States, from the Caribbean and so forth, and then the railroad went ahead and, and of course, uh, went south to Key West. Um, the first recorded baseball game in the area actually went back to 1892. A newspaper called The Tropical Sun that carry, uh, covered South Florida all the way from Palm Beach down the Key West recorded this game, which was like a town ball game, on July 4th, 1892. And the writer of the you know, newspaper, he, uh, you could, by reading his article, picture this idyllic scene where they set the field up in a empty lot and the two towns at the time called Lemon City and Coconut Grove got together and they played this game on a July 4th afternoon which by the way Lemon City prevailed 18 to 17
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of runs <laughs> yeah so that's some great research there to, to find that so that's the earliest baseball game that you're aware of in the yeah. area now the, the community though be as Flagler's putting in this railroad, I mean, obviously today, Miami has a huge Cuban population, Cuban expatriates, very large Latino population. What was early Miami like as far as the demographics was, you were saying Northeasterners coming down? but um, these were people looking for vacation homes or just.
0: Well, originally down here, you had your, uh, basically hard scrabbler settlers that were trying to eke out a living on the land. Uh, you had some merchants and a lot of the people that were living here at the time in the 18, uh, late 1800s, they actually depended on wrecking for their li- uh, way of making a living. These were during mm. the hurricane season, ships would actually crash on the shores of South Florida and people would go and recover the cargo and either sell it or use it for their own means. So, um, once Flagler got to Miami and they incorporated the city later in the same year, 1896, you had this influx of people coming into the area. At the time, uh, not the Cubans and so forth so much—that was would come later—but the Northeasterners and Midwesterners would come down here because it was an opportunity to start anew. Uh, by about the early 19 teens, the uh, Miami had gotten large enough that there became a call for baseball, organized baseball. So they formed in the early 19-teens the Miami Baseball Association. And together with other cities in South Florida, they organized what they called the Florida East Coast League, which was an outlaw minor league. And they would get players from other minor leagues in the southeast, college players and local talent, and they set up the first leagues that way. So originally Miami had these outlaw leagues and wouldn't actually get a uh, officially sanctioned minor league team until 1927, which was the Florida State League. And that was the first league that they had sanctioned by the official body of the minor leagues, which was called the Na- National Association. That first team was called the Miami Hustlers, ironically enough.
1: <laughs> Hustlers, huh? <laughs> Not the Wreckers, which would be another good name
0: for them. That would have been a good name. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Maybe we ought to patent that one. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, during those early years, the the pre-official minor league years, were there any players that went through town that ended up in the pros, or was it mostly, you know, um, no
0: names? Uh, The players – At that time, most of them would have been, uh, like I say, from the lower minor leagues. There wouldn't have been anybody who rose to that level other than in the very earliest years, in 1913, uh, the Fort Lauderdale team that competed against Miami had a pitcher by the name of Orth Collins, who had played in the big leagues for a couple of cup of coffees. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a gentleman who came in '27 who managed and played for the at the time the hustlers by the name of cotton Knopp, who played for the cleveland indians in the big leagues previous to that but they had acquired him from new orleans uh, which was a high minor league team and he managed and played for the club and actually guided them the second half of the twenty seven season and they played for the championship that year
1: so tell us about then
0: as it becomes
1: affiliated with the major leagues what if I was playing ball in Miami uh, in Mm -hmm. 27, 28, 29, I'm at a very low level in the minor leagues, but in what organization would I be?
0: Okay. In the early years, in the 20s, they would have still been independent of any major league teams. They would uh, be independent minor league teams just with uh, the officially sanctioned uh, stamp on them. Uh, They did not get affiliations until – after 28, the Florida State League broke up. The depression was coming and baseball and a lot as in a lot of places in the United States closed their doors. Most a lot of minor league teams basically went out of business. So through the 30s, uh we only had semi-pro ball here, but in 1940, the Florida East Coast League reformed and it was officially sanctioned and they started again. Uh There, again, we had mostly independent teams with no major league affiliation. The Florida East Coast League went up to 42, but World War II came. There was a manpower shortage, and the league once again went into hibernation until 1946, and this is where it really takes off because they form what they call the Florida International League, and Havana, Cuba is brought in the league. That's the first foreign-speaking country to be actually sanctioned by minor league baseball. And they joined the early Florida International League. And Miami puts two teams into the league. We have Miami and Miami Beach, which forms this wonderful rivalry. Now, both had been in the previous Florida East Coast League, which was in 40, 41, and part of 42 before it folded. So the rivalry had already been set. And you bring Havana into the mix, which formed a natu- uh, natural Rivalry with Miami, of course. Uh, Havana had a natural rivalry with Tampa, who was also in the league, which had uh, a large Cuban population. So this league was very interesting because not only was it the first league to bring in a foreign-speaking language team, Havana, but they also had chartered flights, where the teams from the United States would be chartered to fly to Havana to play the team called the Havana Cubans. And you have to remember right. this when it started it was a Class C league. No, not even major league teams were flying on planes at this time. Yeah, so this was really trains. ahead of yeah. its time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just to just to clarify, some some of the listeners might not know about independent minor leagues and how they worked. But mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, in my own baseball research about the early days, I, and I I think of the Connie Mack examples. I know he was. Purchasing players from minor league teams here mm-hmm. and there, so that's how the deals were made. You, you find a player you were interested in, and you cut a deal with the owner of the minor league team, so much money to buy the rights to that player and bring them up to whatever level you wanted to bring them to.
0: Yeah, the, uh, one of the early affiliates we had down here was in Miami Beach during the first Florida or the Florida East Coast League prior to World War II. Uh, Miami Beach was actually affiliated with the Boston Braves, and um, they supplied the team with most of their players but also gave ownership the option that they could sign so many players outside of the players that were supplied by the Braves at the time. Uh, Miami actually did not get an affiliation until uh, after World War II when the Florida International League uh, came into effect they affiliated with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they had an amazing talent flow go through there when the, they got got affiliation that. <laughs> and the Dodgers, I mean the Dodgers
1: uh, were really good in those years
0: oh yeah so and tell,
1: in, us, uh, is it, tell us give us an idea of some sorry. of the players that went some of the players that went through at that time
0: well, uh, I'll give you a good example in nineteen fifty two was the year that they had this great pennant race between Miami and Miami Beach and Miami of course was affiliated with the Brooklyn Dodgers but 3 quarters of their infield went um, to eventually to the Dodger major leagues they had another pitcher that also made it to the major leagues from that team you had Dick Gray played third base Chico Fernandez was the shortstop and a first baseman by the name of Gabe Gabler also made it eventually up to the Brooklyn Dodgers as well as a pitcher named Billy Harris who won 25 games that year for the Miami Sun Sox.
1: Wow.
0: And, all, and then in 53, the next year, they had Maury Wills played outfield and shortstop for the Miami Sun Sox. And a lot of people don't know that Maury Wills had played in Miami uh, that one season.
1: Yeah, and I don't think of Maury Wills as a shortstop. I, if I recall, Maury Wills, wasn't he more of a second baseman in the major league? Uh, he actually outfielder.
0: played short, third, he he was a bit of a move there. I know when he came to Pittsburgh after his Dodgers days that he played third base, but, uh, uh-huh. yeah, he was a shortstop with uh, the Dodgers.
1: So what about the Negro league and any affiliation with Miami? Was there, how did that work in those times? I know, uh, well, integration at the major league level was in
0: the late Well, 40s. integration down here was very slow, um, you had, uh, as far as the in- Florida International League, the league did not in- integrate until 1952, which was five okay. years after Jackie Robinson broke the color line. Um, and Miami Beach is actually where it was broken. Uh, an infielder by the name of George Handy, who played for the Flamingos, and two players, they were playing Havana that game, Angel Skull, who was a center fielder, and an infielder by the name of uh, Silvio Garcia, also played for the Havana team. On the opening day of 1952 at Miami Beach, those three players took to the field, and they were the first black ball players to cross the line in the Florida International League. From there, uh, you know, then it changed the whole composure or complexion of the league, and then they started signing more black players. Unfortunately, the league only lasted till '54. But uh, they did expand from that. As an example, Maury Wills came in 53. But there was, uh, interestingly, um, you know, in the early days of the Florida International League, Havana was so dominant that it didn't take long for the other teams to figure out. They started scouting the Cuban players. And so a lot of teams started bringing in Cuban players. And as far as relating to the color line, they had some guys that kind of were on that line that made the owners, you know, Uh, You had a a player by the name of Bobby Estalela that played for the Philadelphia Athletics. He was playing Mm -hmm. in the league at that time. He was bordering on, you know, it was a lot about the color of your skin. And uh, a story was told to me about Chico Fernandez and how when he would go on the road, especially up into the Tampa, uh, St. Pete area when they played the Saints or the Smokers, that to be able to stay in the hotel sometimes with his teammates he would actually have to put a little powder on his skin so that he appeared a little lighter skin in order for him wow. to be able to be accepted into the hotel.
1: Wow. It wasn't that long ago.
0: Yeah. No, I know. And yeah. once, uh, after the Florida International League had unfolded, uh then you came, Miami was reborn in 1956, and they received a A International League team, the Syracuse uh minor league team moved to Miami. And in 56, they had Bill Vec running the Miami Marlins. And one of his key signings was he brought Satchel Paige in the pitch for the original Miami Marlins. Uh, Now, Satchel would have been towards the end of his career. He uh, would have been, when he first came to Miami, he was 49 years old. He turned 50 during the season. And um, the highlight of that 56 season was he pitched in a game that they set up at the Orange Bowl where we had over 50,000 people come, and they watched Satchel Paige pitch against a a Yankee named Bob Kuzaba. He was a pitcher by then at the end of his career with the Columbus Jets. But at the time, they uh, broke the record for minor league attendance at a game for actual fans in the stands. There was a game in New Jersey where they recorded Ticket sales were higher, but the actual fan count, Miami broke the record with 51,173. If I recall the number correctly. Wow. Yes, yeah, Satchel you know, must int- have
1: been quite, quite a character. Don't look back; something might be gaining on you.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and the ballplayers that I interviewed, several of them, they they all had Satchel Page stories. It was, uh, he was quite a character. He he didn't uh, follow the rules. He would sometimes show up the games, you know, he'd listen on the radio. If he was not scheduled to pitch that night, and if he thought that they needed him to come into a game for relief or something, he'd come to the stadium. He uh, sometimes didn't fly with the team. He didn't care for flying on an airplane. And so he would, make a, he would drive his car to a city to meet the team. Uh, he did fly on the planes, but sometimes he would avoid them. And uh, he was quite the free spirit. Uh, uh, he was um, kept his teammates on their toes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so your book goes through
1: 1960. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you, what are you working on now? Are you working on
0: the years since? Is that is that planned or? Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, Barbara and I are going out? to do a follow up book to this. It's going to be essentially a volume two, which covers the years 1962 up till 1991. Uh, 91 was the last year that we had minor league baseball in Miami because uh, the Florida Marlins at the time had uh, award, been awarded a franchise and they were scheduled to begin playing, uh, opening up in the major leagues in 93. So because of right. territorial rights, the team in Miami, who actually the last two years was playing in Pompano Beach, they moved to Fort Myers, which they're still there today okay so we're going to cover those those uh... secondary years that's the, in sixty-two interestingly enough ferguson jenkins came here and he pitched for two seasons in sixty-two and sixty-three in miami how so is that in the phillies minor leagues? Uh, they were a phillies minor league affiliate up until sixty-five and then the orioles took over in sixty-six and then they had a long affiliation down here with miami not only doing their spring training but they played at Miami Stadium, which opened in 1949. Yeah. Okay. And then you're cutting it off because of
1: the you're you're only focused on minor league baseball.
0: So we're focusing on minor league baseball because, um, I think I mentioned this earlier. It's almost as if people only have they think that you get this view that oh, Miami baseball started in 1993 with the Florida Marlins. And in the course of conversations that I had with many people, they didn't even realize that minor league baseball had been played all those years prior to the uh, establishment of the Florida Marlins.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think about Miami baseball, uh, a name comes to mind in Jeff Conine. and I remember mm-hmm. him being on a good Marlins team. I don't remember if he was with the Marlins before or after he was with the Phillies, but uh, he was part of some of the better Phillies teams, too, some years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and I was kind of ignorant about Miami minor league baseball. Although I, I seem to recall Steve Carlton. Well, Steve Carlton was from Miami, was he not? From the yes, area.
0: I believe yes, you're correct, and he was drafted. Yeah. I believe he was drafted into the Phillies minor league system.
1: No, or no, Car- the, Cardinals.
0: the Cardinals. Cardinals.
1: Yeah. yeah. Was Cardinals. So when, I, when yeah. I'm thinking Miami and Steve Carlton, it isn't minor league baseball. It's it's where he grew up. Yeah. Mhm. So, I think uh, he
0: uh, might have probably went to Miami High, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. But there was. So looking um, back. Mhm. There was a lot of famous people that passed through Miami. Uh, Paul Weiner was a manager for a Miami club. Uh, Max Carey. Of course, you had Satchel Page that passed through here. Um, we had uh, Gene Bearden, who pitched for the Indians in 48. And when they won the World Series, he played at Miami Beach. Uh, of course, Maury Wills, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, The guys from the Brooklyn Dodgers, they had quite a few players. that They had minor careers, but they made it to the big leagues. Um, Also, we had an interesting uh, character by the name of Lou Colombo that played at Miami Beach, who later became a world-famous trumpet player, used to entertain his teammates by playing his trumpet. And we had the baseball icon down here, Woody Smith, who uh, came in 56. He was here from 56 to 60, who was really the first Mr. Marlin in Miami. He was very revered in the area.
1: So I'm also intrigued by these airplane flights, if we could go back to that. So that, that oh, yeah. was in the late, late 40s? So these uh, guys that started are on... in
0: 1946, actually, the chartered flights, and that lasted during the whole time period of the league from 46 to 54.
1: No mishaps that whole time?
0: <laughs> no mishaps, but some of the flights, according to some of the players I interviewed, were a little hairy based on the weather. But uh, n- <laughs> no casualties, <laughs> fortunately. Yeah, yeah, can imagine. Um, now, of course, in
1: the '60s, we have the Cuban Missile Crisis. We have Fidel Castro coming into power in late '50s, early '60s. Mm-hmm. Did that? How did that affect the Miami baseball, if at all?
0: I don't think it affected the baseball portion. Of course, it affected a lot of people here in Miami. There was actually troops during the crisis uh, when Castro first took power and then when the Russians started to go into Cuba. Uh, you know, they actually had troops come into uh, Miami, Key West, and so forth. And people, you know, were a little skittish of what was going to happen down the road. Um uh, you know, as you know, a lot of Cuban players, when pa- Castro came into power, they came to the United States. Uh, as a Phillies fan, as an example, you probably remember Cookie Rojas was amongst that group. Sure. You had Camilo Pasqual, a lot of, uh, you know, high-profile players. They left their country at that time. And, you know, they tried, and a lot of them brought their families over, but it was an issue. It took time. And so there was a lot of stress involved with that with the players of Cuban descent because part of their families or some of their families stayed behind in Cuba. And, of course, you know, the conditions weren't that good there. And uh, it played on their minds. It did. It was a concern. And, um, you know, it's tough for a person to leave your native country. And the United States is a great country. But, um, you know, you're used to living in your own country. So it was, uh, psychologically, it was very hard on those guys. Yeah.
1: I think what's, what's really interesting about that is realizing there was a time when we had incorporated Havana into a minor league and we had teams going back and forth playing baseball. And, of course, Cuba and Havana, just a big center for baseball, baseballs you know, a favorite sport there. And you wonder if Havana could ever be a professional uh, or major league sports town sometime in the future. I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: Well, there have been some other authors who have written about that. Uh, Basically, Havana, under Bobby Maduro, when they made the jump after the Florida International League had folded, they became members of the International League, AAA International League, And their slogan even says, we're on the way to the major leagues. That was their goal. Uh They were focused on it. And it looked like, before the Cuban Revolution, that's the way they were going to go. They had a beautiful stadium. Grand Stadium was in place. They had ample fan support. And I believe, and this is my opinion, that they had not the political unrest and the changeover occurred, that they would have been a major league franchise. Yeah, yeah.
1: I get that sense too.
0: Well, Sam, we're down to just a few seconds to go,
1: so uh, I'd like to like to join. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Any quick and 20 seconds? Anything you're up to you'd like to announce?
0: Sure, uh, I'll be appearing at Books and Books in Coral Gables on August 3rd at 3 p.m. That's on 265 Aragon Avenue, and um, of course, my book is available through SunburyPress.com. I'm sorry, Sunbury Press Store. for purchase and uh, And I really appreciate you having me on the show, Larry Yep, thanks for joining
1: us, Sam This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show Thank you for joining us